City Commission meeting. We will begin by having a few words from the reporter and Sherry. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. Uh, just a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. Whoops, sorry. Just a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting tonight. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll turn it to Sherry. Thank you, Porter. When the mayor calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Again, please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Move on to item A, move the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Do I have a motion? Move to approve the agenda. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That passes five to zero. Our next item is public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to the issues to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission take make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Is there any general public comment? The commission will not engage on these items and make decisions on items brought up during that time. But Mayor Larson, unfortunately, when Rick Rimfo was standing up here during public comment, you thought it necessary to engage him and ask him if his security concerns had been met, have been alleviated. That was public comment. None of you asked if any of the security concerns of the homeless folks were alleviated. Why not? Amber, I'm still waiting on my meeting invite. If you ever get around to reading those emails. But I'd like to know why Rick Renfro can get engaged up here when you say you will not engage or discuss these items that are talked about during public comment. He'll come in here and you can address his security concerns all day long and make sure we work things out with Rick. People are still dying. People are still dying. While we talk about a treatment center, while you guys got a trailer, a couple trailers from what I understand, quarter million dollars worth from federal funds. I wonder if the IG knows how you guys are handling federal funds. Do they know that you guys use those funds to spend just willy-nilly money on shit and then you park it and let it get dust on it instead of being out used? Think the federal IGs know that? 
because that's a load of crap. And the, the reasons that you give for not getting those trailers out that were given in the journal world, more crap. More crap. They've been out. They were out at Woody Park. You guys all know this. Bunch of excuses. And Bart Littlejohn, instead of doing your job and taking your seat seriously and utilizing the power that you have to actually make a change, you have the nerve to call on the citizens to rise up and do more. Don't remember saying that? But you guys continue to sit up there and you don't want to engage the people that are struggling, but you're going to engage Rick Renfro over his security concerns. You guys have a lot of fucking meetings back there over security concerns. Bunch of scared chicken shit people that can't address the security concerns of some people that are actually suffering. Actual suffering happening. All Rick Renfro keeps making his money and you guys keep getting your portion of whatever's going on. When does it change? Showed you two more evidence of police brutality in this town that gets dismissed and exonerated. Defendants, they ask them to sign away their rights to sue the city. Tony, I hope you didn't do that. Time. Any other general com public comment? Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I, I approve that message. Um, you all should have asked um, when there, there was the meeting looked like it was going to be shut down. Y'all should have been asking what was going on. Instead, we found out what was going on from the media a few days later. But um, I, I'm not here to talk about that. Um, I sent in something, some comment. I think we should be decriminalizing fentanyl test strips. But um, what I'm here tonight about is the, the restructuring board of our advisory boards. Um, I basically have some problems. Um, I thought like I thought it was supposed to be five advisory board members and three from the public. But when I look at the list, it looks like there's seven seven of the people on the board are on advisory boards. So I don't know. It seems like when only one there's only one member on there from the general public. And if we had we, we said it was going to be five and three. But I mean, maybe you're counting. Well, you can be on an advisory board and still be a member of the of the public, which I'm OK with that. But here's the problem I have. I tried to sign up for it. I went to the city's website. I looked at the page that listed all the boards, but I guess because it hadn't be, hadn't been created yet, there wasn't a link there. Later on, I found out if you went to where you apply just in general and then cho chose it from a list. But see, I was trying a different way. And my problem is the city did not tweet anything about this. I mean, I looked through the city's tweets. I never saw anything given a link saying, hey, we're creating this board. Come apply to be on it. There was no tweet like that. I looked at the flame. Um, I think you aren't y'all supposed to be given 
the public info with the flame. I mean, I think it's kind of a waste of money, but when we have info and we're not using it, like why are we spending money on the flame if we're not going to be using it to give out info to the public? And like, that's the kind of info I think we should be giving out is, Hey, we need the public to sign up for this advisory board. Um, so, I mean, that, that's some of the stuff we could have been doing different. I, I think, and also, why were we appointing people? It hadn't even been 30 days. And then I saw on December 6th, like less than 30 days, we appoint six people and six of them. Like, if you look, it's, it says they're, they're what advisory boards they're on. So we're already going past, we're, we're already assigning more than five advisory board members when it's been less than 30 days, it seems kind of suspicious to me. I think you should redo it and actually publicize how to. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Any more general public comment? All right, we'll move to the consent agenda. Oh, I'm sorry, Zoom. Do we have anybody on Zoom? Uh, yes, Savannah Fergus. Hello, I'm here in remembrance of the lives recently lost due to unintentional fentanyl poisoning in our community. And I wanted to bring attention to the fact that currently fentanyl test strips are considered drug paraphernalia in Kansas. Additionally, harm reduction trainings are not legally allowed to be taught and safe supply kits are not allowed to be given out in Kansas. Wichita recently passed an ordinance to declassify fentanyl test strips as drug paraphernalia on the city level. And I wanted to urge the city commission do the same. Each of these lives laws are not just another number and they were all preventable in some way. Thank you. Any other general public comment on Zoom? Uh, no, Mayor. All right, then we'll move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under, under one motion and approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda, agenda and considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Any commissioner want to pull an item? Uh, yes, C5. A. A. Yeah. That was it. That's yeah. it. Okay. Anybody from the uh, audience want to pull any item off the consent agenda? From the C1, C2A. C1, C2A. Okay. How about on Zoom? Is there anybody on Zoom that wants to pull an item? No, Mayor. All right. Then ask for a motion. Move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of C1, C2A, and C5A. Second. second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. First item that was called up was C1A. I should say in order. In light of the public comment that I gave regarding the way public comment is handled, I think it's needed that the city commissions begin to note in the minutes when a public commenter is engaged. That way you can track your bias. 
and you check it. Does that not sound reasonable? We, we say that we will not engage those items. We will not engage or discuss or debate public comment. And, and I think minutes are meant to document things that are out of the ordinary, unusual. I give back the balance to discuss if we'd like to. What's happening right now? Anything else you want to add to that? I, I said a minute ago, I'd give back the balance to discuss. Okay. We'll have an opportunity to discuss it when we had public comment. Okay. Any questions on that? Then open it for public comment. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. I think he kind of makes a good point. Like if, cause I, I mean, we have had people, like when there's been groups of people come to city commission meetings and then they, they present their case during um, public comment. I mean, if y'all do break the norm and engage back, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to, to ask that we document the response. Like, I mean, if you, if y'all are talking when you usually don't, I, I think it's kind of noteworthy. So, I mean, and if, if y'all don't want to put down how many commenters there are, that's another solution what he's just offered. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. You know, the public comment on this item, any public comment on zoom? Bring it back to the commission. Any discussion? No, I'll have. I, I would say that, you know, again, we use the the uh, typically use the um, video, you know, to show what happened during the meeting. But I was looking at what we do say in the public comment. It does say commission who public comment on items and issues not scheduled on the agenda. So if there is a discussion, it might, you know, I, I can see why it might be useful to say something more than we just heard the public, if there ends up being a discussion. If the commission discuss something, um, you know, I do, I could see what we generally put there would not be accurate if all we, if we did discuss it. So I think that's something to consider in the future minutes. Well, historically, um, <clears throat> What that has been used for, um, where it, is, it indicates in the consent agenda, as far as the instructions go, um, that the items um, for public comment, that, that the commission will not discuss or debate. And historically, what has occurred is commissioners ask question of staff. 
Um, and that has been always the norm in the past. Um, however, the commissioners will not dis discuss or debate with each other about it. And um, so that's how it's been used in the past. So. I will note that Commissioner Finkel, that brings up a, a good point in regards to something that we've kind of tiptoed around. And I think even we had someone even make the comment about parliamentary procedure being a suggestion. When we don't take parliamentary procedure serious and at least use the framework of it in our discussions, then we start to blur the line. This is an example of what happens when you blur the line. Um, I don't agree nor disagree with um, Mr. Ravi, if I'm saying your last name incorrect or incorrectly. Um, if we're not supposed to take action or have discussion, then we shouldn't be asking staff questions if there's no discussion, if there's no, no action to be taken. And so by asking staff questions, you give the appearance or the illusion that action is going to be taken. So if we're not willing to toe that line, then we shouldn't do things that put us in that situation. Um, we've talked about what public comment is, whether or not it's legal, whether it's a precedence for commi com uh, commissions and councils to have. Most city council meetings don't have public comment. Some of them do, some of them limit it. We've had those conversations. What we need to get down to is understanding as a governing body, how we plan to conduct ourselves and in what manner and what precedents are we going to use to conduct ourselves and not using things not using things as merely suggestions, but using them as a code of conduct and a standard for which we will operate so that we don't have situations like this. So to the point, I don't disagree with Mr. Aravi. I think Ms. Commissioner Finkelstein brings up an excellent point. The idea is if we're not discussing or debating items, we shouldn't be asking questions because there's no action that, to, that is to be taken. So to not give the illusion that we're doing something that we shouldn't do, we just shouldn't do it. To clarify, Michael, you're at order. Any other comments? Okay, ask for a vote. Do we need to vote on this, Sherry? Uh, yes. Okay, ask for a motion. I move uh, to approve the 12 2022 C Commission meeting minutes. Second. I have first and second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That passes 5-0. Item C-2A, which is the Burt Nash Governing Board meeting minutes. Mr. Irving? Two people died in the last two months that Burt Nash could have helped. Do you guys actually monitor their meetings? Do you guys actually pay attention to what's going on with the treatment centers and the work that's, that's happening there? Do you pay attention to the struggles between the county? And them, are you involved in that? Because your constituents need you to be. And to clarify, a moment ago, I wasn't talking about asking staff questions. I was talking about addressing the damn citizens that we don't address. Michael, we need to keep the focus on what item you brought forward to us on the Burt Nash meeting minutes. Okay, I took three seconds there to say that. And I guess since I'm going to get called out for spending that three seconds doing that, we're going to stand here for the next 215 in silence. <laughs> Your time you're wasting. <laughs>
<clears throat> Do you have anything else to add to that, Michael? Mr. Irving? Still running. I may have something that comes to mind in a moment. Okay. Ms. Larson, I don't want to play this game, but I took three seconds to clarify what was misunderstood up there on the podium. Give it a little break. Okay, bring it back up here. Any questions? And any public comment on this item? Any public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. Bring it back up to the commission. This is an item we just received, so we don't need to vote on that. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Move on to item C5A. Yes. Um, I noticed this was added to the agenda late this afternoon, and I had um, some concerns in regards to the reappointment, not necessarily the individual, but just the timeliness of it. Um, I did, did look at the timeline, and I noticed that Mr. Carpenter's position is not up until, or his his position is not up until May 31st. And then reading the rationale that was provided in the memo, um, it, it seemed to be a bit contradictory to me. And so just wanted us to be able to follow proper protocol and the resolution 7224 and have discussion in regards to the mayor's appointment or reappointment outside of the purview. Um, well, just to an additional term and to have some discussion about that. Okay. Um, did you have something? Oh, no, yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I just wanted additional discussion as well. I just had a couple questions follow up. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. If you have questions now or do you want to go to public comment? But we usually do questions. Yeah, that's what I'm asking Comments, for questions. Um, I don't have any questions. I just wanted to hear the rationale. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if we have anybody from planning here or anything of the sort. Um, so I saw the rationale on there and it looked like when I was checking out planning and their kind of their handbook or their guide that they send out that they do state specifically that uh, they like their commissioners to have two terms, two consecutive terms, uh, two consecutive three-year terms, uh -huh. and that is it. And but what, from what I see here, the resolution has pointed out that you know if there is an extenuating circumstance, um, uh, and it goes into you know what that circumstance is regarding Mr. Carpenter or Commissioner Carpenter and um, the merits of the appointment. Um, I was just curious, in recent times, has there been any sort of commissioners that have been appointed three times in a row that we know of? Yeah, there has, yeah. Just last year, there was, yeah, there was that got a third term because of the concern that there was um, not enough experience on the existing board. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and while that being the case, uh, I... I'm a little bit hesitant um, just because while I always appreciate 
um, the perspective that Commissioner Carpenter has. Um, just he's super inquisitive, um, pretty descriptive and uh, involved in what he does and always informative. I just, I'm a little bit cautious about any sort of precedent this might set going forward. So that's kind of where I'm feeling out. Okay. Well, we have voted before on three terms. And as far as precedent, there's a, there's a clause within the resolution that allows for exceptions. Um, and, and from what I read, it just says that the exceptions, the exceptions will be made for reasons stated at the time of appointment. So, you know, and Mr. Carpenter, I have known him for quite some time. Order, and, are we doing discussion? Or are we having public comment? Well, I'm talking. Okay. Well, are we having discussion? Or are we having public yeah. comment? I'm trying to answer a question. Okay. Just wanted clarification. Okay. There's, there it is right there. Um, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought on that. So any other questions? I had a question. My question was, Mr. Carpenter's appointment does not end until May 31st of 2023. So my question is, based on your appointment, what is your rationale for wanting to reappoint him now when his appointment doesn't end until May 31st? Well, they are, um, the planning commission is in the process of, um, they'll have some various votes coming up to um, assign uh, chairs and vice chairs. And so I wanted to leave the opportunity open for that, um, for Mr. Carpenter to be part of that process. So he, um, and, and that's the main reason why I wanted to do it early in the year. And I know that we receive, we, we now, other commissioners now receive applications for um, boards and commissions have, just wanted to make sure that you're seeing what I'm seeing. Have you seen any individual apply to be on a board of commission? Or have you received any emails regarding any individual who have stated a desire to serve on the planning board of commission? Uh, Commissioner, I don't recall seeing any emails to me. Okay. okay. Yeah. Those are all my questions. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? All right. Open it up for public comment. Hey, this is Chris Flowers. And um, I think you should, it sounds like you should hold off on it towards like, um, I have no problem with him being reappointed, but if, if he's breaking presidents, should he be up for a, a chair position on the board? Um, I, I don't understand. I'm not sure I completely understand the whole situation. So um, also, I was wondering, is this board potentially going to be affected by this whole the the other? I mean, is it one of the boards that could be cut with this whole board restructuring? Because if it is, how important is does it matter if this board's just going to be changed anyway? So I think you should just hold off on it in case we do get like, why not have the city tweet? Hey, do you do you have any kind of planning experience? Like, have has the city done any like actual trying to recruit people as opposed to saying, hey, we, we can't find anyone. So let's just break precedence and and do it this way. I, I think I think the city should make more of an effort to find someone else. But if if they can't, then I think they should go with the the third term, the third term appointment, I guess. Um, I, I, oh, I, I had something else I just forgot. Um, 
I guess, I guess that's it. But yeah, just, yeah, I, yeah. Just hold off on it till it's closer to the date. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment on this? That little interaction was interesting. Courtney Shipley used to shut you down when she was the mayor. And now you have a commissioner talking back to you and giving you attitude by facial expression like she just did right there. You're pretty slick with that, Amber, aren't you? <laughs> Unbelievable. This is why I couldn't sit up there where you're at. Because I would want to get up out of my chair and go over and slap the shit out of her. <laughs> Any other general public comment or public comment on this item? Anybody on Zoom? No, Mayor. Bring it back to the commission for discussion. So my point to make, which is not personal, is dealing with the matters and the business of the people, is that we have a commissioner, we have a commissioner that is not up for a reappointment until May. Based on what I'm seeing in the rationale that was presented in the staff memo, there's nothing here that gives me pause to want to, that sees a need for us to make this appoint, reappointment right now. Um, we've not had discussion about whether or not his reappointment has an impact on him serving on the steering committee. Um, and the line about the void of knowledge or whatnot, we will start to create a, a precedence that creates inequity in how we allow, how individuals are assigned, reappointed, or even have the opportunity to serve on boards and commissions. We're taking away five months where there may be someone in the community who had a desire to serve and sees that there is a commissioner who is set to exit off the board, off the commission, that would not have that because of this. That is something that as commissioners, we need to keep mind of as the mayor takes the lead in assigning and making recommendations for boards and commissions. So at its, as a state, it's nothing personal to Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Carpenter, Mr. Carpenter. At this time, I would not be voting to approve his reappointment. Um, we can look at other options, but I think there's discussions that we have to have in regards to um, whether or not him serving, him being on the commission after May, if that doesn't happen, if there's an opportunity for him to continue to stay on the steering committee. There's a lot of discussion that hasn't been had that was preempted by this, um, by announcing this reappointment. So um, I won't be um, voting in favor of this, but I would, um, would, be, would not be opposed to other options if there's commissioners that would like to pose something else. Okay. <clears throat> Any other dis discussion? Couple thoughts. Um, one of the first, I, I mean, I was surprised that the planning commission could be reappointed. I didn't know to more than two terms. I thought that was in the the uh, formation document because it's a joint county and city. Um, but I did go look at that, and it's not in there. Right. Yeah, I did. Um, the county, interestingly, has a specific provision that you cannot be account uh, appointed to more than two terms, um, but that does not appear now. So I, I think it's it's possible, um, certainly, you know, as stated in the memo. Um, but I do think, especially for the for the planning commission, I think it's an exception we should rarely rarely use. Um, and I do tie it to two other discussions we're having that caused me additional concern. One is 
if we go to a directly elected mayor at some point, <laughs> I think the ability to, um, you know, I, I think limiting and, you know, not having that, you know, two terms being the limit on any appointments, I think could be a very important term limit. I know some people even want term limits on the mayor, but my point is the term limits on these committees, I think, is something to consider, which brings me to um, the Committee on Committees. Um, I assume reading Resolution 7224, that is one of the resolutions that will be amended as we get through the Committee on Committees, because it talks about those things. And I think this provision on whether or not um, someone even, we, we keep this exception in there, might be a discussion we have as part of that Committee on Committees. That report will be done before, it's supposed to be done within four months of the first meeting, so it'll be done before Carp you know, Mr. Carpenter's term expires. So I think we could wait to see how that outcome is on that. Um, all that, then I'd say as to this, you know, I, I think that the knowledge of Mr. Carpenter is outstanding and he's a great member of the code committee. Um, you know, I would, I would, you know, he, in theory, he rolls off the code committee on June 1st when he's no longer a planning commissioner. We have planning commissioner Gary Rexroad kind of shadowing that, but I would be more than happy to have, to make a change and not set the president in this way, but make a change and put him on the code committee for the duration, you know, as of June 1st, um, not as the planning commission appointee, but as a a member because he does have lots of great, great experience. So I think that's one possibility is um, to not put him, not given this exception to the planning commission, but to, to appoint him to the, and change that resolution and put him on the code committee. Cause I do think he's a valuable member of it. Um, that would work for me. Uh, you know, it's uh, echoing uh, commissioner sellers and Mr. Flowers and uh, Commissioner Finkel die all their points. Um, I would rather hold off on this for now. And if there is that potential for him to still be added to the land development code steering committee and to utilize his vast knowledge of planning and codes and everything like that, I, I think that would work as well. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, so there's a lot here and I, there's not really not enough time to talk about all of it. And I, I hope that the public and particularly um, lobbying groups, interest groups uh, to whom this is clearly most important um, under this circumstance, um, really think hard about um, what appointments are and what appointments aren't. It's not a job interview. Um, it is not a guaranteed spot. Um, it is at the suggest, you know, the suggestion is the discretion of the mayor and the commission, of course, can question it. We don't do that very often, which I think is actually positive. And I'll, I'll say one reason why. Um, talking to another mayor in the state who was constantly questioned about all of her appointments, no matter what, um, as, as just a matter of disruption. Um, that's not what we have here necessarily. I recognize that, but I think we should all think about um, how that's also 
not a great precedent. Um, I, I, I've talked to a number of mayors. I, I counted 11 uh, kicking around town the other day. Um, and I don't, I don't know that they get questioned on their appointments as often as I was, and maybe not even as often as uh, this, as this mayor might. And I think that's interesting. Um, and in theory, appointments, just like at the federal or state level, can absolutely be ideological or partisan in some way. We're not partisan here, but um, there, and I don't know that I believe that it always is the case, um, but there's a certain acknowledgement and understanding that in the political sphere, that's what appointments are. You can be absolutely unqualified at the federal level to be a diplomat to Antigua and still end up being a diplomat. Um, nobody questions that. Um, you could be not at all qualified to be on the KU Board of Regents. That's the discretion of the governor, if I understand correctly. People rarely ever question that. Um, and I don't know that I think this is any different. And um, I think it's very important for us to maintain that respect um, and to understand that it is discretionary. Um, certainly in this situation, it the the language leaves space for the mayor to keep someone on. Um, and I feel like she explained her reasoning. Um, and I accept that reasoning. Um, and it is naive to think um, as much as one might want to disconnect the character of that particular commissioner from ideology here, that's impossible. Um, because the people I hear that reject that commissioner for a third term um, have real um, um, skin in the game when that particular commissioner brings up very serious questions. And, and I agree that that commissioner is very good at bringing those things up. And yes, institutional knowledge is incredibly important, certainly here in Lawrence, where we forget nearly nothing. Um, and so... Um, I think some people maybe are um, pushing back against this more on personality than anyone would like to admit. Um, for example, no one pushed against my third term appointment as the mayor has rightly pointed out. Um, so um, those are kind of some of my, my comments here. Um, I again, hope that people think really hard about what appointments are and what someone's privilege is or uh, what their expectation could or couldn't be when they apply for one of these positions. Um, I've seen lots of very unqualified people um, appointed for ideological reasons. And um, I, I, I um, bit my cheeks at those times and um, that's part of politics, frankly. Um, so, um, is it my favorite? Um, not necessarily, um, but I think to show my respect to the mayor um, in her suggestion and her appointment, as she has always supported me and mine, um, I think is important, and, and I will do that. Michael, you're out of order. Would you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's fealty. It's respect. Sorry, you don't have any. All right. Any other comments? Well, I'll just say that 
this appointment on my part is purely because of Jim's knowledge, his experience. I mean, I've, I don't know, and I've said this to other people who would talk to me today about this, is that um, other than staff, I don't know anybody who knows the code better than Jim Carpenter does. And right now we're in the process of um, going through the development um, update. I guess we're calling it an update uh at this point in time and i've watched several planning commission meetings and there's um there's young commissioners on there that are getting their feet wet so to speak and i think with mr carpenter's institutional knowledge that it's important that we maintain that um so the processes can be can move forward smoothly and that they can learn from him um and so I support this, obviously I support this, this um, appointment for that very reason. Now that doesn't mean there's not other questions about, about that were raised by some commissioners about, um, you know, when should this be done and how do we do this? Um, how do, you know, what are the proper way to move forward with this? But I will point out just as I did before that we didn't question it last year. And now all of a sudden we're questioning it. So what that, what it seems, that what that seems to me is it's a political situation and i would and disagree I, I, excuse I, me i i've got the floor right now pardon me yeah and so, yep and so uh so that's why i see it is that there's there's definitely been some pushback which is fine you know it's okay to have pushback um but this is definitely coming from a side that is uh is more towards what i would consider to be the political side i i, I would disagree with that statement and 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 aspects of um what commissioner shipley said i unfortunately i i can't speak for everyone else um when there was someone that was reappointed to a third term that was something that glossed over i can say that with without any shame or feeling of vulnerability that was something that i missed commissioners don't catch everything and so to say that something passed and no one said anything without context and pretense um, that 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 can be a slippery slope. So I, I say that as Commissioner Sellers speaking to that piece, can't speak for everyone else. Um, to the aspects of ideology, partisanship and and political gainsmanship that happens in this realm when it comes to appointments, it exists. I think the goal as a strong governing body is to mitigate it as much as possible. Um, there's a difference between being political and the politics of things. Those things are not synonymous. They're two completely different aspects. The more that we create a political, we, we have a political presence um, in addressing things and not dealing with the politics of things. That's when you have, you create, then there's this narrative that works are being done um, nefariously or based on someone's ideology. And that, that can be dangerous and that can slow down or at least disrupt um, the democratic process. Um, so to say, this is how we do things. This is how it's been done. These things always exist these things that exist in, in institutional, structural bureaucracy doesn't mean it has to stay and it has to be maintained. And that is the code of which we do things. You know, as a governing body, we have the ability to change that. And so one of the things that always perplexed, you know, is that I always have to laugh about because you don't just see it in 
municipal appointments. You see it in, in other organizations, individuals that it says two terms or you only have four years to serve and people just want to continue to serve because they just want to be there. They just love it so much. And we don't create a community. We don't create a an atmosphere where other people can have that opportunity to serve and learn to be in that same position. So we perpetuate the very thing that we strive to have in our community. We don't have diversity on our boards and commissions because we don't promote it. We don't give space to that. For someone who has a desire to serve nine years on a board of commission, bless their heart, but it doesn't mean they need to serve nine years on a board of commission. When I hear individuals say, oh, this individual doesn't know what they're getting involved in or they don't know what they're cut out to, you're basing that on a stereotype. You're basing it on your ideology. And that is not the ideology that everybody prescribes to. So while we are not on the, on the commission of commissions, as a governing body, we have to stop and think just because it is institutional, just because it is structural and part of the bureaucratic process, do we have to continue to follow that standard? And the question is, the answer is no, we don't. We're looking at a resolution. We're, bracing, we're basing a decision on a resolution from five years ago. Does it still hold mustard? Probably not. But the idea of, of, of saying that, you know, yes, if there's some political aspects to it, it probably is for some folks on this dais, but not for everyone. But that doesn't mean we have to continue to use that precedence. And I don't think it, it we can we can go on a TED talk about the dynamics of of, of sexism and, 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 and leadership and what that looks like as far as questioning one's authority and one's ability. Um, but I don't want us to. But I think we need to start having conversations like this because the precedent shouldn't be because somebody wants to do something, we just let them do it because they're an expert. There's plenty of experts out there that we don't tap into because they've never had the opportunity and the space to be, a, to be called upon. And that's what we should be looking at this. There's a part in our in the resolution that talks about looking at the diversity of, of the makeup of our boards and commissions. We sure haven't had a report like that in a while. So let's talk, you know, let's talk about the politics of that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot we can go on about this. I think the, for me, my concern with this is that it's five months ahead of time. So if, I, if this is something that I missed last time, I missed it. I'm present now, you know, that first year, it was one hell of a run, but I'm still here and present and I'm asking the questions now. And I'm basing my decision based on the answers to those questions, not necessarily any partisan group or lobbyists or someone that wants to nudge my ear, because I know we get nudged all the time. Thank you. Any other discussion? So what do you want to do here? Oh, could I just one last thing, though? Um, so I'm really glad that um, Commissioner Finkel and I brought up the directly elected mayor thing. So this is really, appointments really are kind of the only thing that mayors do. And some of the same groups who continue to push for directly elected mayor um, are interestingly pushing back against this. So it seems to me like one kind of inconsistency in that argument is we want one person to do all the things. We want to go to that one person and get all the things we want. And we want to trust that person's discretion. But now they're questioning that discretion of a mayor who actually has to share that with this commission. Um, and so 
I, I kind of wonder, do you see what I'm saying? If you're, if you're the first directly elected mayor and you make this appointment, you know, well, will you be questioned in the same way? And, and how much, how, you know, it used to be thought that mayors made the agenda that turned out to not truly be accurate. The agenda seems to make the agenda quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so, you know, uh, people out there in the public or interest groups who try to understand what where the influence is or where the influence goes or where they can create influence, this is that space. And this is the space that was given to the mayor and the commission. And it's being questioned, this particular mayor's uh, suggestion is being questioned. And um, so I, I guess I, I don't know that I'm going to get any kind of real answer out of Commissioner but just it's an interesting thing to think about because a directly elected mayor or a strong mayor, those things would not be questioned. I do think, I mean, I do think we'll have this discussion next week or two weeks ago, two weeks from now. I mean, I think, um, as I said, I think, especially if we move to the direct elected mayor, and even if we don't, you know, I'm I'm probably not in support of this provision that allows more than two terms for some of the reasons mentioned about you know you know diversity and otherwise you mm. know I mean I know it's 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 been used but it's been rarely used you know um, and I'm not but I'm not sure it should exist for lots of reasons and two so I think we're going to talk about it with committee of committees at some point but I think it becomes even more important when we're talking about if we go to a direct elected mayor I do think having some checks like that are important. So, um, yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, in, in the the history is not to is not to um, you don't see a lot of debate over people's appointments, <laughs> mayor's appointments, and for lots of reasons. Um, and again, I'm not pushing back on this appointment. I'm pushing back on the idea that it's extending it the second term. Um, on the planning commission, which I think is different. Why is that? Because I, why? Because, like I said, I was surprised that it because it's a joint with the county um, that it had its own rules, and I, I learned today that it didn't. Um, but that surprised me. So knowing that those are the rules right now that we're about to vote on, does that? Does that change that at all for you in the past? Certainly other commissioners have pointed out we're voting on the thing in front of us, not on the yeah. on the ideal we're about to work on. Well, it does in part because it the this appointment signed up until May. And we might make that change. So what if we in April the committee committees come back and we change it and now people the mayor doesn't have that power in, as of April 15th. But we've we made this appointment on January 1st. And on April 15th, does that nullify this appointment because now you can't have more than two terms? Well, because we already appointed this person to two terms, now do they do they still get to serve even though we've changed that rule? That's my concern. If this appointment was tomorrow, I mean, if this term was up on January 31st, we would we could always change the resolution at any time. But the, the time we are going to talk about this is when it comes back from the community committees, we look at this whole thing and we'll have time between then and this appointment. I mean, we, we, I mean, we, if we do not approve this appointment tonight, 
you know, this is not like the race judicata or something. I mean, this appointment can be made again on May 1st or May 15th mm -hmm. or June 1st, even after it expires, the appointment can still be made. And if we've you know, made those decisions, then some of this, you know, we, we decide not to have a directly elected mayor and we decide in the committee of the committees not to change this rule, then I think, you know, maybe this just changes it. But that, that's my concern is we'll, you know, I think those things might change. So then maybe I would ask Sherry, because we have made rule changes to commissions in the past. And I, I, if I understand correctly, in those situations, they just live out their term and then um, um, they don't get kicked off simply because those uh, rules changed, um, unless it specifically reduces the number of people on a board. Would I be incorrect in that? Uh, that might be a better question for Tony, but I think in the past when we've changed maybe residency or things like that, they they stayed on the board till their term expired, but I don't know if that's clearly defined. Yeah, that's my recollection as well. It, it wouldn't impact necessarily past um, appointments unless there's some specific provision in a change in our code or resolution that would would make that change. Yeah. So to that point, we we had a great example before closing out the year in December with the text amendment as related to section 20. Drawing a blank here. But our text amendment that we had, where we had legal comeback, where we wanted we we looked at there was a potential of a text amendment. We came back with the moratorium. A lot of the discussion around that was based on we're looking at the development code. So instead of creating a text amendment while we're doing a development code that will then not take, that will then be preempted by the new development code, the moratorium was the workaround to that. When I look at resolution 7224, the line that gives me pause for concern is exceptions to this will be made for reasons stated at the time of the appointment. The fact that appointments are done under consent agenda, but yet it states in 7224 that that the mayor makes the recommendations and they go in front of the commission for a vote. If you have a line that says exceptions to this will be made for reasons stated at the time of the appointment and you're doing it under consent agenda, to me, it, it, I interpret that as it's not necessarily null and void, but it's almost like saying you can take it off, but I'm, we're still gonna, the exception will be made regardless of what the vote is. And I know that may not, that to me, it seems like it's, it, it, that gives me pause for concern. And so if we have, if we're looking at this very similar to what we're doing with the development code, if we have a committee looking at this, instead of trying to force something that is already there, like I, I don't, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I've not received an answer to the question that I asked. If the appointment is not ending until May, and there is transition. And we've heard from the steering committee chair that concessions could be made. And I'm sure that these conversations <laughs> between the mayor and the steering committee chair could have been had, and this could have been worked out before it coming to us in the commission meeting, could have been. I'm still not hearing. It's not about politics. It's not about usurping or challenging a mayor. It's why are we doing this? I've not heard, for me, I have not heard a 
viable reason that this reappointment needs to happen right now. I would not be opposed to deferring it until May, but there's nothing right now that set, that I that is a sense of urgency that this appointment has to have this reappointment has to happen right now. And I've not heard from anyone. I've heard we've had great conversation and debate about this. Wonderful conversation. Enlighten me as a second year commissioner. But there is nothing that has been said, in my opinion, that warrants us having to make this appointment right now. Regardless of politics, political gamemanship, anything like that. So when do they have, when does planning commission have their um, retreat and, and when do they vote for um, chair and vice chair? Historically, they do that in June, but yeah, I think it is. They do it in June. They do it in June. Yeah. Whether or not that's still the case, I think it is, but that's, that's true. Good evening, Jeff Craig, Plain Development Services. Give me one second to look that up. I don't remember that off the top of my head at the moment, but usually we do the elections at the at the first meeting in June. Um, so that way we'd have the time for the reappointments to roll through in that one. And the orientation will typically happen uh, late October, sometime in November, typically. Okay. Any other discussion on this? Do we, um, we've got commissioners that want to hold off on this? Is that what I'm hearing from three of you at least? Is that what I'm hearing? I have no, I, I stated it several times. I have no objection to waiting until May for this. Okay. I, don't, I just never heard the answer to why we needed to do it right now. Mm -hmm. oh, I thought I gave an answer, but it, I mean, that's fine. It wasn't adequate. That's fine. Yeah. Get that. It wasn't. So for you, yeah, that's fine. So we'll um, defer this or not defer this, but just hold off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If we don't make it take a motion. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You can always put it on the agenda. Again. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's that would that would be the consideration. Yeah. So we'll do that. That's fine. All right. Let's go on. Hang on. I got to get back to where I was. That was the last item pulled, if I remember right. Yep. Yes. So we're going to go on to a work session. The work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in greater detail. The commission will take no binding action on items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for live co public comment. Members of the public wishing to speak on a work session item will be limited to three minutes for comments. So our, we have one item and it's to receive the strategic plan update from the connected city outcome team and the environmental sustainability commitment team. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Commissioners. I'm Kathy Richardson, the Director of Sustainability in the City of Lawrence, and I'm going to go ahead and share some slides. All right. You can see that and hear me, the little voice I have. All right, with me tonight um, for this presentation and conversation are two subject matter experts. Um, we have Melinda Harger, who's the Assistant Director for the Municipal Services and Operations Department 
also referred to as MSO, and she is lead on the with the construction management, engineering, and development section of MSO, also referred to as CMED. And we have Chris Rice tonight. He's a city project engineer with the MSO CMED group as well. So the plan for tonight is to go over some slides and then open it up for question and discussion with the commission. Um, one thing I did want to notice, uh, I am the champion for environmental sustainability. And as you can see, this is formatted um, like your usual outcome um, team uh, updates and presentations. I did want to note that commitment champions and outcome champions work together. We share uh, performance indicators and we're working together to move the needle on those um, with the strategic plan. So as a reminder for connected the outcome, the picture, uh, the city of Lawrence has well-maintained functional and efficient infrastructure facilities and other assets. Connectivity supports accessible, sustainable methods for safely moving people and information throughout the community and the region. An investment in these assets reflects the city's commitment to contribute to the well-being of people. This is a, a recap. Here are all the performance indicators under Connected City. And again, these performance indicators are shared with some of the commitments as well. And tonight, oh, and over the last year, you've heard updates on a lot of these pro, uh, performance indicators from the Connected City team. But tonight we're gonna focus in on CC14, which is the number of public infrastructure projects that account for climate adaptation. So as staff continues to work on CC14, um, I did wanna mention that we do want to bring back to the city commission proposed changes on the wording um, of this uh, performance indicator, as well as how we are gonna be measuring this one. Before we dive too much into the details of CC14, I also wanted to remind us of the city's commitment to environmental sustainability. So it's a deep respect for our place and relationship with the planet and the environment. We consider the environmental consequences of every decision, big and small, knowing that our actions have impacts beyond our boundaries. And we protect and restore our ecosystem to make it healthier and more balanced for future generations. This slide might be familiar to you. It was used in a presentation in March of 2022 um, with this Connected City team. Um, Melinda had gone over how we had identified the strategy of utilizing a green rating system for infrastructure projects uh, under CC14. And staff had identified Envision as that uh, rating system for utility and transportation infrastructure. And we identified LEED as the rating system for buildings. I think we're all 
We're familiar with LEAP, but not, maybe not so much with Envision, but just a little bit of information um, from their website. Uh, Envision is a holistic sustainability framework and rating system that enables a thorough examination of the sustainability and resiliency of all types of civil infrastructure. It assists government agencies and their consultants and contractors in delivering infrastructure that tackles climate change, addresses public health needs, cultivates environmental justice, creates jobs, and spurs economic recovery. And of course, LEED, which is the most widely used green building rating system in the world, it's available for virtually all building types. It provides a framework for healthy, efficient, and cost-saving green buildings. When we had this um, presentation back in March, we identified some policy needs, and that's what we want to go over tonight. Kind of the key items for a policy. <clears throat> so staff began to work on drafting a sustainable capitals projects policy. Started researching other cities have passed what they're working on. And the policy is to incorporate sustainable practices, practices into the siting, design, construction, remodeling, repair, maintenance, operations, and deconstruction of city facilities and infrastructure. Apologies. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, a little bit of the timeline of this policy. So staff would like to propose the policy to be implemented for January 1st, 2024. And the reason why we're here tonight to go over these key policy items is because in order to um, get it implemented by beginning of 2024, you do need to have this conversation prior to staff working on the CIP and budget for 2024. We hope to have draft policy for you, a full draft policy for you to review in a March meeting. Again, the Sustainable Capitals Projects Policy, the implementation of it would, it is intended to result in significant savings to reduce utility costs lower operations maintenance costs, enhanced environmental quality and decreased pollution, reduced greenhouse gas emissions and heat island effect, improved health and comfort and productivity of building occupants, and leadership by example for other building owners and other sustainable building stakeholders, and the creation of local green jobs. would like to go over um, the key policy items. So for qualifying projects, and I will um, in a couple slides define what those qualifying, qualifying projects or the ones that are not qualifying, what those are. The city of Lawrence would utilize at least one rating system that sets the standards for implementing sustainable practices in design and construction. 
There are three groups here. So the recommendation is to utilize LEED Gold certification for new city buildings, city facilities. And LEED certification for major renovations of existing city facilities. And on the infrastructure projects, utilizing Envision verification. These are set as the minimum for the qualifying projects. If a major renovation or an Envision project would go above the level of just verification and achieve a higher level, that is great. I did also want to mention that if a project does not qualify under this project, we are still taking in consideration the commitment to environmental sustainability by utilizing the checklist of LEED and the checklist of Envision and the framework and resources to still have the conversation about the sustainability um, factor in these projects and what can be done, even if they're not certified or verified by LEED or Envision. I also wanted to mention, kind of pausing on this slide, that the Sustainability Advisory Board a few years back had the goal of LEED Gold certification for new city buildings and LEED certification for major renovations of city facilities. We did uh, meet with the Sustainability Advisory Board and went over a presentation and discussion to get their feedback back in November to see if this was still the level and the um, goal that they wanted to see for the city. It seemed like a very positive meeting and conversation. And we look forward to continuing to discuss with the Sustainability Advisory Board, as well as other stakeholders, as we draft this policy. An explanation of the exemptions for the non-qualifying projects for buildings. So projects creating or renovating fewer than 10,000 square feet of occupied space, that would be a non-qualifying project. Also minor renovations would not qualify as, as they are as defined as renovations wherein the total cost of construction related to the building envelope or the technical building systems is lower than 25% of the value of the building. This is excluding the value of the land upon which the building is situated. Now, the non-qualifying projects on the infrastructure side. So this would be projects with an estimated design and construction cost that is less than $2 million. Also like-for-like -like equipment and or process component replacement. And projects and programs are principally rehabilitation or maintenance within an established corridor. And just again, a reminder for the non-qualifying projects, we still see within our policy um, some language about staff continuing to use checklist from lead and vision for the sustainability component of those projects, even if they're not certified or verified. Some additional exemptions that were identified as part of 
the, the policy. And again, this is all items we also would like um, any feedback or direction from commission. So exemptions would be emergency situations, regulatory requirements, projects entering the design phase prior to January 1st of 2020, projects that are not owned by the city and as directed by the city commission. So as I mentioned, uh, Melinda and Chris um, have joined us. Um, they have a lot of information um, and are subject matter experts on LEED and vision, as well as these projects in the CIP. Um, there's information about estimated costs that we've gathered as we've been working on this policy. And the policy question in front of you tonight is for these qualifying projects, should the city set these standards listed below? So again, that would be LEED Gold certification for new city facilities, LEED certified for major renovations of existing city facilities, and Envision verification for infrastructure projects. And I will go ahead and stop share. Okay, I see Melinda and Chris now. And to open it up uh, to any questions or additional information that Melinda or Chris uh, would want to provide. Any questions for Kathy? I kind of did. I wanted to understand when you said that the policy won't be ready till January 2024. Did you mean, um, you know, we're hurtling toward a CIP right now, staff is, uh, you know, hurtling towards the next CIP discussions. So I want to understand what you meant by that, that these suggestions, these this outline won't be ready for that discussion, or it will be ready for that discussion and it just won't, it will be for the 2024. Yeah, thanks for the question. So if we can get direction on lead and envision, that will inform our MSO CMED project managers on their CIP projects. So if there is desire um, to go ahead and put into policy or work on a policy that includes this, we would need to adjust the CIP numbers in the budget for 2024. So as we're working on 2024 budget and we're working on CIP, and that's why we're, we're here tonight to get that direction um, for our MSO group, as well as direction for the staff group working on this policy um, as we'd like to bring it back uh, before uh, CIP and the budget are uh, finalized for 2024. Okay. Any other questions? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. Um, on the exemptions part, uh, I was curious, do we have any properties or projects that are under uh, 10,000 square feet? Like currently? Good, e good oh. evening. This is Melinda Harger with MSO. Um, looking at our current projects, we actually don't have um, a lot of projects starting design in 2024. 
that would fall under the lead policy that are on the funded list. We don't do a lot of new facilities. So many of our new facilities are actually on that separate list um, for like ballot consideration or grant funding consideration. Um, the, the new fire stations, for instance, were unfunded and, and listed there. So this would apply to all of those. Um, some of the projects that are starting this year um, would also be over the 10,000 square feet. So um, the city hall um, reconfiguration project starts this year, um, but city hall is a little over 30,000 square feet. Um, but for comparison, um, you know, we do have some facilities, whether that's our traffic operations center, um, the new transit facility, there's a lot of smaller facilities that are under the 10,000 threshold. And we looked at that um, guidance, we looked um, from US Green Building Council, they provided um, a series of just a bunch of research um, and collections of all the policies across the country regarding LEED. And that 10,000 kind of stood out is, is a threshold used by many other cities. Now, some, if you think San Francisco, it's more like 50,000, um, but more cities our size use that $10,000 uh, or 10,000 square foot um, number. And so we, we were trying to align a lot of our recommendations and exemptions and things like that with what we were seeing consistently across some of these other policies. Cool. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, just another quick question. Um, just in regards to the uh, the gold certification for new buildings, I'm just curious. I know that it's platinum, gold, and silver. Why why the, the decision to settle on gold in that regard? I'll be happy to uh, give Kathy's voice a rest and cover this one as well. So there was a recommendation a handful of years ago um, by the Sustainability Advisory Board to to really look at gold for new facilities. And as staff was looking at that as well, as long uh, it aligns well with our strategic plan and a lot of the um, other um, initiatives the city has put in place, such as the ordinance, um, you know, to be 100% renewable um, in about a dozen years or so. So a lot of what you see with LEED Gold aligns with that. And that was part of our recommendation um, for that reason. Okay. Um if in, in the future, when the, in the further discussion, I'd love to see it like, you know, kind of uh, examples of other lead gold structures or, you know, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. ideas in, in that realm, as, as well as envision, because uh, I'm kind of new to the game on that as well. So I was just curious. Yes, and I'd be happy to provide just a little bit on envision. Um, there are no envision verified or higher ranking projects within Kansas. Um, checking the Envision website tonight, um, there are three within Missouri. Uh, Casey Water has taken initiative in the last uh, three or four years to run all of their projects through uh, the checklists, and they're looking at their first um, project that would be Envision. Um, I'm not sure. I think they were going for Envision Gold, um, but Envision is similar to LEED in the fact that it has that first level. They call it verified. It used to be called bronze, just like LEED is called certified. It used to be called bronze. And then it goes silver, silver gold, platinum. Okay. Um, the KC Streetcar was one of the first projects in our region back in 2016 that uh, got Envision Platinum. So um, that's it. These Envision projects are typically utility, water, wastewater type projects or transportation type projects. Um, there was a stormwater project in Kansas City as well. 
So a little, a little background on that. And I also wanted to um, take an opportunity to add that one thing we've put in for all of our staff as a goal for this next year um, is for all of the project managers within the construction management and engineering group that run all these uh, capital projects will have one of the certifications, either a lead green associate or the Envision Sustainability Professional Credential. Um, so they will have um, all of that education required the continuing ed. They will have the ability to register these projects and run them through and lead the project having that expertise as well. Um, so all of that is the goal for 2023 that all of our project managers would satisfy that. Right now we have three of us um, with those certifications out of um, 14. Excellent, glad to hear that. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, I had a couple. Um, Melinda, um, back on um, slide 11, when Kathy brought up the different aspects of Envision and LEAD, and I want to make sure I heard her correctly, but I know that it said that there are some projects that would utilize the checklist. You had mentioned that there's not too many projects that arise to that Envision verification. So I guess my question was, my question is, um, what projects, infrastructure projects would rise to that envision verification as opposed to doing the checklist? Because if we're, my, my thought, my thought is going to, if we're, if we're putting all, we're putting work into the asset management piece of, of a lot of our infrastructure, wouldn't we want when we want those projects to run through envision verification or what or do they not rise to that? So I guess I need some sure. continuing education on that. Yes. And, and to clarify, I may have misspoke uh, lead. We don't do a lot of new buildings. And so we don't have many right. in our five-year CIP that would go for lead gold um, unless some of those uh, fire stations move into the funded list. But as far as Envision, um, we do have nine projects identified on the current 2023 to 2027 CIP that don't start design this year, so they would be eligible. Um, anything starting design in 2024 or beyond, and they're over that 2 million threshold. And so um, we've identified nine projects for that. Um, we're also going to utilize the Envision checklist since that's something that we can do in-house with our staff that um, receive that training on every project um, that, that we manage within the CIP, but those would get the verified level. That would be what the policy points to, and that means third-party verification. So we go through and score it, and then it would be third-party verified um, there's the verified, the lowest level, but if we can get silver or gold um, and still accomplish all of the objectives of the project, then of course we would go for that as well. And if there's a time when we're ever just kind of right on the brink, um, and that would be something we would bring to the commission um, to let the commission decide if we put in some additional capital investment that would bump us up to that next level, for instance. Okay. And then on slide 12, um, uh, Vice Mayor mentioned in his comments about the 10,000. My question was specifically to looking at some of the, I know the website, you said the green building, because it was the same website I went to, and I was looking through different uh, communities, whether it was city or counties, uh, policies on such exemptions. And I noticed, you said 10,000 was one. I noticed like other communities used 5,000. So I guess for me, because I took that deep dive, for a size of, for a community our size, 
you said 10,000, but I would think we would be more in the 5,000 range looking at Seattle. And I think there were some other um, uh, couple of counties in Oregon that use uh, 5,000 for their 5,000 square feet as their exemption. So why land on 10,000? Uh, again, that was just as we were looking through the, the different policies across the country, we came up with 10, we saw it was used quite often. Um, that is completely up to the commission if you would prefer 5,000. We don't have many new facilities that would probably fall under 10,000 anyway if we're building a new anyway. facility. Okay, so any city buildings that would fall under that? Right. Okay, because that'll come up in discussion later. Um, and then on slide 14, where you looked at your additional exemptions. And I, I think we had discussed this and I and I will discuss it and um, I'll bring it up in further discussion as well, but projects um, not owned by the city. So currently our standard, we're, you're wanting to propose our standard being lead gold. However, for incentive programs such as the Catalyst, Catalyst program, we only require lead silver, correct? I believe that is correct um, for the Catalyst program. And yes, this would just be city-owned facilities and also city-owned infrastructure. So if the city is um, working with the state on a project, for instance, the state is bidding the project, we would not be able to dictate, you know, that they do envision on their project that they're leading, even though we're contributing funds. All I have. It, any other questions? I've got a couple. Um, so, are any of the MSO projects out at Venture Park going to fall under these new guidelines? I'm happy to take this one as well. So, the first phase of the MSO campus is technically in design, um, getting up to 30% design right now, but we've had it as a goal from the beginning to be looking at LEED. Um, so, that's already been on the radar. And um, as you may recall, during the rate model discussions for water wastewater, we put an additional $3 million in for sustainability enhancements. We believe with that, we could get LEED certified. Um, it hadn't been on the radar from the beginning to have LEED gold as, um, as a requirement for the project, you know, from the time we selected the consultants over a year ago. So that would take a little bit um, redirection from what they were thinking um, in terms of how much additional maybe capital infrastructure might go into it. Um, with lead gold projects, many times you see substantial renewable energy or close to net zero in some areas, especially the direction lead gold is going. Um, so the thought is the way it is funded right now, we are striving for lead certification. However, this policy would pertain only to those projects starting design in 24, so it wouldn't be required to be lead gold, if that helps clarify. Um, however, if it was the commission direction to go that route, we could come back and, and let you know what we would need to do to make that happen. All right, thank you. So I had a couple of questions on the renovations versus rehabilitations. Um, my understanding is that for minor minor um, renovations or anything that um, are less than 20, 25% of the building value, is that correct? So does that mean anything above 25% would be a major renovation? Because we use that term major um, um, for LEED certified for major renovations, 
Is that true? Okay, got it. The other thing is you, um, under the exemptions on page 13, you said projects and programs that are principally rehabilitation or maintenance with an established quarter uh, are exempt. How is rehabilitation different than renovation? Uh, to clarify on that, we were thinking of the rehabilitation, um, for instance, on our infrastructure. So uh, we use rehabilitation in terms of our stormwater program, um, sanitary program, those types of programs where many times we're going in on the sanitary and it might be we, we are putting on coatings or something to extend the life of that infrastructure. So that being more maintenance activity, we were excluding that from this. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. And my last question is, um, what is it going to cost to what kind of costs are going to be added to projects if we're going for certification on lead certification or envision verification? Yes, um, I anticipated you might ask that question. So I had pulled some data together. Um, so looking at just our 23 um, through 2027 CIP, um, I was looking at the, the nine envision um, projects, for example, and looking at those, um, the data I've gathered, we're looking at, well, I, I guess I'll start at the beginning. For all Envision and LEED projects, just the design and engineering services, we likely will see a five, uh, three to five percent increase. And that's not, um, you know, if a design fee was a hundred thousand, it's three percent more, it's three to five percent of the total project cost. So if design costs were 7%, design costs might now be 10%, if that makes sense, because they're doing a lot more of the administration work, the documentation, the modeling, um, a lot of that effort um, that would go into meeting the requirements. So 3 to 5% increase um, for that and 10 to 15% increase for construction. Now, the that's not saying you're you're increasing those costs and you're not getting a payback. It's that you're investing those dollars at the time of construction. And many times your return on investment, you're going to have that payback, whether it's 10 years or 15 years um, with those lower, you know, O&M costs, the lower utility costs, all of that. But many times our projects don't have that built in to make that large capital investment in like making a building net zero, for instance. Um, so, it, it varies on whether you're going for something like certification that would be at the lower end of the scale if you're going like verified or certified, more the upper end of that range if you're looking at lead gold, just because you are going to put in those much larger capital investments, things like instead of using asphalt, you'll do all concrete pavement, um, you'll do more enhanced green infrastructure, you, you will put in more renewable energy. Um, so those are just some examples. Um, the more sustainable materials you might use on the project can also have a little bit of a premium with those as well. So those are some of the cost increases. So I'll go back to the nine Envision projects. Um, I was looking at, we would have, um, looking at 10% more on each of those projects, it would be a total of four to 5 million. Um, 5 million was rounding up over the course of that 2024 to 2027, because I, I I excluded 2023 because um, if it starts in 23, it doesn't apply to the policy. So four to five million. And as far as lead, we don't have anything in the five-year CIP um, that would technically meet the policy. But if we wanted to look at moving our um, campus project phase one to be lead gold, I estimated it might need another three to four million. I'd have to go back to the team, um, but that's using those percentages. 
and looking at kind of what's in the initial concept plan for that project right now and some very early cost estimates. Um, but that would be the investment as far as the CIP. And I wish I could rattle off the total CIP off the top of my head, but it's over 400 million. <laughs> yeah, it is. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> So that would all be bonded, bonded though, wouldn't it, as part of the whole project? Is that correct? Most of these projects have bond funding. Right. No, I'll be bond funding. Okay, thank you. All right, that's all the questions I had. Uh, actually, I do have one more. Is this something that would be added into um, the project in the early stages as to doing a cost evaluation as to if we spend this extra money to get gold um, certification that these are the long-term cost savings we'll have by implementing the sustainable measures? Our, our intent with that would be part of the design scope as you go through the sustainability workshop. We do the calculations of return on investment, they give us the different options, you know, for HVAC systems, for instance, or different pavement, different materials. So yes, that cost analysis goes into that as well. Um, and really it's when we get through that sustainability workshop, we know where we're at with points and what it would take um, in terms of effort and budget to move up to the next level. So all of that would be included in the scope. Um, we started putting that into the scope for some of our projects, even over the last couple of years, and we've found it to be to, to be useful as we get that information early on. Thank you. Okay. No more questions. Any any others? Here with this is a public comment item, or I guess we got. Is there is there another one? I believe so. Um, the Connected City Outcome Team is that a separate one? It was all combined. This it's is combined. CC14, and um, right. and since it was all sustainability, Kathy took the lead, you know, on on this big portion, and has been working um, hard on it the last few months as she took it to the sustainability advisory board and to others within the city, other stakeholders. All right, thanks. So this is a public comment item. Any public comment on this from the audience? Any um, online? No, we are. Oh, okay. This is, we are just receiving this, so there won't be a vote on it. Um, did you get all the information you need? What does that? There were some policy questions. I yeah. don't know that we. Did we address those enough? The direction. Because well, I, you know, I am fine with the direction we're moving on that, but I do just need to point out that this is, there's going to be a pretty significant, significant cost to it. Um, and that should be detailed in any, any design we do as to what that cost is. And that way the commission at that time can make a decision. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and you know, I, this is all what's great. And, uh, but uh, my only comment in regards to it is just implementation. Um, I know that Kathy is a department of one. So um, if <laughs> I know she can do a lot and she's she's trooping through right now with like no voice. So um, if I was hoping that in further discussion down the line, we could consider, you know, possibly giving her a little bit of help. Um, so I know that we recently did it for the Department of Equity and Inclusion. 
uh, with Dr. F Dr. Ferris Muhammad. And uh, I think uh, that uh, Kathy could use a little assistance as well. Thank you. Yep. In regards to the policy discussions that directions that staff want us to go on under the additional exemptions for projects not owned by the city. Um, you know, I, I brought up that for catalysts, we um, projects are built to lead silver. So I just, I'm, I guess my question is, was there in, in talks with Brent and her team with the economic development team to get their thoughts on how, while this policy, the focus of it is for city structures, if there's opportunities for some some intersectionality, some you know discussions of how this would align with projects outside of you know city funding and what that looks like, or you know should those standards be just as even or below? I mean, this is not my wheelhouse, but I, I and mean, we, we've had these discussions several times, you know, in regards to um, the multimodal transportation hub on 15th. Um, we've talked about it with several projects based on incentives, um, knowing that certain incentives are required to build to lead, lead equivalent um, and whatnot. So I just didn't know if they're what did the economic development team give you any feedback on? Because my concern is I'm afraid that if if the commission doesn't discuss this right now, we're going there's going to be a project that comes up and we're going to say, well, what about the policy? And and we, we we didn't discuss this. So I'm trying to give commissioners space and opportunity to to discuss if this is something that projects outside of city funding should they arise to the same level? And if not, what should that look like? Um, I would. I will. Okay, oh, I'm sorry. 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 I, I was just, um, I, I'm, I'll let Kathy speak to, um, you know, any comments from Britt. But one thing as we were developing this that we did identify is the need for the, the city to be a leader in this area um, and in, Many thought, you know, us being a leader in this area before putting those requirements on to others in, in other sectors. Um, and that's a model that's been followed by other communities and, and as well. And it tends to work well when the city can can show that, you know, we've been holding ourselves to this standard for a while. And, and then you can have those conversations about holding others to that same standard. So that was a conversation we'd had. I'm not sure, Kathy, if Britt had anything, um, other other comments on this that you wanted to share. Oh, I, I appreciate that, um, Melinda. It was a lot of the conversation of leading by example, so just getting started um, with our own city facilities. Thank you for adding that. Yeah, I guess I'd, I'd say <clears throat> one to that point. I, you know, I, and to the point just made. I mean, I, certainly the argument can be made that we should, if if we're trying to set an example, we should be higher than than what we're doing um, otherwise. But the, you know, the flip side is, as the mayor said, you know, 
we've heard this before, even lead silver adds a significant cost. Lead gold adds really significant cost to these projects. Um, and, and I'm not, yeah, I think these are the you know goals we should be looking at. We should be making, you know, setting that example. We don't build that new many new buildings. And if we do, you know, I, I think we should be looking at that. And and if that doesn't, you know, pencil out, I, you know, that's something the commission will have to make a decision on. But I think as a policy, that's what we want to be looking at and designing for. Um, I mean, I'm okay with that direction as recommended, along with the exemptions recommended. At this point, I wouldn't want to change that in our economic development policy um, until we see see it play out on our level. But I appreciate you bringing that up, Commissioner Sellers. And I'm good with the direction provided by staff. Anybody else? Okay, is that direction enough? We good? Kathy, Melinda? Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I was going to simply say yes. And then I'm thinking back to a couple conversations we've had on standalone projects. And mm -hmm. it might be good if we ask if you would like to incorporate any specifics into the policy about irrigation with potable water, um, renewable energy, or 100% electric. Those three have been items that have come up a few times. Is that something you want? into the policy for these projects that not only do they need to meet whatever level, but that you want them to also satisfy that or that you want all projects of a certain level to satisfy that. Those three policy questions, I think would help staff a lot to know the direction. I guess I, I'll start and say, um, you know, if you're talking about new buildings, I'd be more comfortable with that than renovations. And I think, you know, some of these came up, for example, the, in, although it's a new building for us, it's a renovated building for the bus hub. Um, and so when you're talking about going all electric um, and you're trying to retrofit something, that expense is different than starting from the design from the get-go. Um, so... I guess when, if we were going to consider some more specifics like that, I would think they'd only only make those discussion points for new projects, not for any renovation or other you know other projects like that. Um, and also to piggyback on Commissioner Finkel, I mean I I would subscribe to that for new projects, but also on the renovations, I think one of the points of contention before was we didn't actually see an outlay of like comparison of cost of what it would be if we went the more i guess conservative direction or if we went the all electric version so uh any sort of information that you could provide in that regard i think would help us a great deal as well okay i was and to your point um vice mayor that goes back to scope and then what commissioner fingled i was saying in regards to does that relate to renovations or is that new builds? And I think based on the conversation we've had, I'm in agreement that for a new build, if we want, I think we can be more direct in 
those policy pieces or having those pieces in for new builds, it gets a little bit tricky when you're doing it for renovations and there needs to be a little bit more space for expansion for staff to bring that back to us. I think they can bring back a cost analysis, but that's based on the scope and that comes back to the policy. So I think it drills down to, from a policy standpoint, do we want those three to be non-negotiables for all aspects of bills, or do we want that to be strictly for new builds, give staff a little bit more leeway to do, um, to have a checklist that provides them that they can bring back an analysis and say, we can do this on this retrofit or this renovation. This is what it's going to look like for us. And I, and I tend to lead that way because staff are the more subject matter experts on this. You can build that into the new piece. And, and I think that's a discussion we, I mean, I think that's something we can all agree on tonight. When it comes to renovations, which is what we're dealing right now with the bus hub, it does get a little bit <coughs> hinky on, on that. And you do need that analysis, but that was based on the lack of scope because we didn't have it in the policy. So I would say for, the, for that piece, reiterating new bills, if, if we want to go through those three and say, yes, we need to do these for new builds, and then that's stated in the policy, we can go there. I think the discussion needs to be as far as for renovations, do we feel like we need to hold that same standard or do we believe for renovations guide staff to create, you know, maybe there's a checklist or where there's an analysis where they can comparison based on what it would look like to do that for that new, for that rent, for that renovated um, building in, in that capacity, so. It's food for thought. Any other comments on that part? I thought I said that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right. Is that good enough? Is that direction? But you wanted that for renovations or for new bills? Um, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Do you want it for both or just for one or the other? I'm of the mind to say there needs to be a checklist for renovations for the three aspects that that should be non-negotiables for new bills. <laughs> I, I thought I said that. I echoed Commissioner Finkeldy, who said that he wants it for the new builds, yeah. and then I want more information for the renovations. Correct. So I'm um, just reiterating. So yes to all three for new builds. That's great. But I'm not, I would like more in, 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 information on renovations to kind of get the scope, as you um, mentioned, and uh, make a determination at that time. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the appropriate way to go. Is that good, Melinda? Yep. That sounds okay. great. Thank you. Right. I think the only thing I would add there is that as we, you know, continue to go down the list of becoming more sustainable, that we, um, I'll just reiterate again, that we make sure we understand the costs and those are presented very clearly when the project's being approved so that the commission at the time can make that decision. All right, we'll go on to um, commission items. Any commission items? Um, I have a couple. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to go back real quick. Feature agenda items. I know we haven't seen safe and secure for a while on agenda items. And I don't know where that team is at in regards to coming back in front of us. But there are a couple of items that I noticed I don't know where they're at that I would be interested in having an update on. There was work early, it would have been late fall 
21, where um, the safe and secure team was working on poverty work as updates to charges um, and looking at our list of municipal charges and if there were opportunities there to do um, that. Um, so I just didn't know where that work was. I know we had talked about the new being on board and then the new fire chief being on board. So it'd just be nice to know where we're at with that work. Um, also an update on with secure. We just, I haven't seen an update as far as the community police work group and just their work. So I don't know if that's going to be part of the next safe and secure presentation. Um, but it would be nice if it's not going to be part of their presentation, but briefing on where that work is, where it's at currently, what's that looking like? Um, and then I've talked about continuum of care and the aspect of uh, services as it relates to those experiencing homelessness. Um, I know we have a safe and welcoming neighborhoods. Um, the team is gonna be presenting to us in two weeks. I don't wanna disrupt their presentation. Um, and this could be another work session because it aligns with safe and welcoming, but we don't really have metrics as it relates to it. But the continual care piece, while it is a public health piece, it is services that we provide funding to um, under the purview of the, uh, of the work that we're doing around affordable housing and homelessness. And as it's part of that whole built for zero model, I, I would really like it if we could have a presentation on what the continuum of care looks like. How does that relate to the work that our housing initiative team is doing and what the state of the continuum of care is in our community? Because that we provide funding to that. And if we're providing funding to that as it relates to a project we are taking full head on, then I've, I I feel like it would be a good use of time to have that type of conversation and presentation in front of the commission so that we understand what funding means and how those services play out and what we're promoting and, and services that funding that we're using to promote services and um, initiatives that we're trying to address. So just something in regards to continuing care that can be within strong welcoming neighborhoods because it fits that piece as well as the safe and secure. So those were the two areas that I would like to see updates on. Any other commission items? Okay. Then we will move on to the city manager's report. Just following up on that last one, I, I want to make sure the expectation is so that is that those are all presentations that the commission would like to see. Well, updates, at least. I, I mean, I like a presentation on continuum care, just updates on the work around um, the municipal charges and the community police work group. Okay, those two, I think, are memo updates. We can get to you relatively quickly. The continuum of care presentation probably involves a lot of community partners. Yeah. And our staff that would be doing that work is doing, is pretty hands full right now. So, you know, April, and I know that seems like a long ways off, but that's still probably enough time for them to pull together those resources. So I want to make sure that that's okay with your expectations. I think that's fine. That starts, I feel like April is the start of funding season. So that might be a good time for us to have that presentation. Okay. okay. Um, on the city manager's report, uh, the uh, sidewalk survey that the commission had requested we we do um, is in and presented uh, in your packet and as well as the future agenda items and are happy to answer any questions you might have on those. 
Any questions for Craig? No, just a question. I know we had a few things move on us. Um, and all of a sudden, our January 17th meeting is very long. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious about the, I mean, like, I know the 15, 15 West 7th was supposed to be on, I think, tonight's agenda, and it got moved at their request. I'm not sure if they chose that date, if we chose that date, or if that could be moved to, a, you know, February or something. That I mean, it just looks like January 17th is going to be a really long meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, all important things, but I just wondered that's been moved a couple times, I think, at their request and not our request, but just curious on that one yeah i think i don't think we can delay wakusa no. you know well i wait, don't think we can when we were talking about sorry to interrupt you but when we were talking about wakarusa the 17th is the exact date that um haskell comes back that's their first day of class and so if i recall our conversation last time mm -hmm. you were kind of putting it here as a placeholder with the idea that it may get put off another week I, I thought the goal was to take advantage of the um, college and university students being back and available to participate. Uh, so, which would probably mean February is the better time frame. And I, I don't believe we've had much of a conversation with the county on this specific, the timing of this specifically, but. So are there any other items on that January 17th that could be potentially moved or looked at at least? It's really going to get through three or four. <laughs> the landscaping, is that a time sensitive? Anyway, we don't have to. Yeah, just, yeah, just look. <laughs> we, will, we will move what we can um, on that. I'm trying trying to see if there's any that can move up um, be, because we don't, you know, the 10th isn't hit real heavy right now either. Uh, but we'll, we, we will always try and balance it out. I know it doesn't always look like it, but we are trying to. And I guess I, mean, I, I was going to say this earlier. Is there, is there, is there a planned presentation for the form of government right. discussion? It, or is that just? It was really to resurrect it onto your uh, to your attention. Okay, we well, let's back. resurrect it on the tenth. Yeah. <laughs> let's resurrect it yes. on the tenth. I, I believe so. I, I don't think any drafting has yeah. yet been done on that. Yeah. Uh, I think which, it's us going to give direction at the end of that. So I think we could move that to Jan January tenth. Okay, possibly we, we probably will so direct you to review the last meeting yes. conversation <laughs> that you had and. Uh, outline what was decide what was discussed at the time and hopefully try and direct your your policy questions in a little bit yeah again if it can't it can't I, i'm not sure that's we'll do our best that that was the one that caught my attention to as a possibility okay and then the uh, uh wakarusa extension would be something in february sometime Any other questions on this is a we did we do a public comment? Yeah, we haven't done it. Yes. This is a public we did. We didn't, but it is a public comment. Yeah, public yeah. Public comment on this. I stayed here to comment about all that. Oh, this is Chris Lowers, by the way. That uh basically the 17th is loaded. Um 
My, I'm okay with moving the form of government up, but by the same argument that we're using for the Wakarusa, um, KU and Haskell, are they going to be back? Like, like I think form of government, this is something that should affect them, especially if, because when I, when talking about districts, one of the arguments I made is that, well, what about like a KU district? I mean, if, if we're going to potentially talk about having districts, shouldn't the KU students be here to advocate for themselves so that, I mean, I, I can see why they might want a district because then that they could at least get a voice in government like how 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 many KU students have been a commissioner like I I could see going to districts as something that could benefit them so if we're, if we're going to be talking about something that could benefit them shouldn't they at least be here to talk like so I, I I'd rather have you delay the form of government and here's the other thing I was just thinking like I'm okay with changing or not changing but um that when the count that it's been that you know how the county did there add in two more members then there is in the paper well people were were pissed off because they're going to hold off on doing the the changes until i think 2024 but basically if 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 we have this on the ballot next fall Will it go, when will it be going into place? Like two years from now? Like, cause the people that were bitching is that they were bitching that they voted and that it's gonna take two years before it goes into effect. So should we be trying to get this as fast as possible if it's just gonna be two years of waiting? Like, I, I, I think it could be on the ballot and not this year, but the following year and still go into this effect at the same time. So I, I don't think it should be something we need to be bringing up faster if it's something that if if everyone who's going to be affected by it isn't here you know so i i'd rather you wait till ku and haskell students get back on that one um also the the one about the the request for the driveway at 1515 West 7th. We've just been, I've talked about stuff at work and that's actually been one of the ones that has got more people interested. So that's just something that, but basically, yeah, you're going to have too much as it is on the 17th. Thank you. Any other public comment on this item? Any public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. Okay. Then we'll go on to our next item, which is the meetings. Sorry. Commission calendar? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's what I, commission calendar meetings. Yeah. If you, uh, Mayor, I do have a few items that I wanted to bring up to you all regarding the calendar. Mm -hmm. um, so July 4th is on a Tuesday um, this year. So we have 11, I mean, we have four meetings, four Tuesdays that month. So I just wanted to get some thoughts from you all if you want to skip that meeting or move it to the 28th in July. 
um, we would bring that back as a special meeting if you move it, or we would just update the calendar. But I, and then there's also um, the last few years, the commission hasn't made changes in March, but we do like to just bring up that spring break is the week of the um, March 14th. Um, again, historically, some commissions have chosen to not meet that week. Others have kept the meeting. It would be good just for our to go ahead and get those on our calendars if you want to have any direction on that. Okay. And I would say on the March for March, there's the 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th, but we would not be able to move that meeting to the 28th or you more than likely would not want to because that's the NLC Congressional City mm -hmm. Conference on the 28th. That last week of March is? Yeah, so it would just be keep the meeting or cancel that meeting, but we wouldn't be able to move it. Did you I don't think we had to. So are there any thoughts on that March one for sure as to whether or not we want to have that meeting? So we only have two meetings in March? Well, if if folks are wanting to i'm kind of inclined to have a meeting but i defer to other my my kids are old now i don't, say, I, <laughs> don't, I don't have any children like spring break but yeah and i love my nieces and nephews a lot but not to spend spring break with yeah. <laughs> a meeting it is so yeah, I'm, that's the preference i'll be around got okay. it sherry okay we'll leave it we'll leave it on there and then for july again it's the fourth of july is on tuesday oh mm -hmm. I would not like to be. No, there. we don't want to be <laughs> Only if we could bring fireworks. <laughs> no, I, um, yes, yeah, that, that won't work. No. <laughs> the the question really is not if we're going to meet on the fourth. The question is do we want to go ahead and schedule it's the 25th meeting. for a third meeting that month? Right. It's budget. We might look at the budget calendar, like, because typically we sometimes have an extra meeting sometime in there anyway with the budget. Yeah. We? Didn't last mm. year we have something? We can bring it back yeah, in terms of you would need to add it as a right. special meeting so we can look at if we if we need it or that. You'll we'll coordinate with yeah. budget team on that. See how that works, but I would be in if, if if we did have to do that, then I'd be in favor of having three meetings that month for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll probably yeah. need it. So okay. thank you. <laughs> Move to adjourn. That's it. Move to adjourn. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 This is five to zero. Okay.